Whoever you are, wherever you are, and whenever it is, you are catching some brainwaves coming to you from the banks of the ardent and thirsty St. Vrain River in almost always sunny Longmont, Colorado. I'm Becky Peters, and across the table is the only co-host who doesn't need to wear a blindfold and mask during bird box. It's Ben Kelp. Ben, what's good? Well, it is all good, Becky. I think technically not wearing a mask in bird box would make me a psychopath. But I'm going to take it as a compliment because really nothing can get me down because I am so excited about this episode. Totally unique episode. We've never done anything like this. If you haven't really listened to Brainwaves in the past, typically we go out there and find famous authors, speakers, education consultants, and bring them in and bring their advice to the earbuds of busy teachers. But for this episode, we went to the true giants in education. That is our loyal listeners. And this episode is 100% their feedback, their hacks, their advice to you. So we hope you enjoy it. I hope you have a pen because you're going to need it because this one is so loaded with amazing tips. This is personally one of my favorites because I I think some of the things that people have mentioned uh, in these clips that you're about to hear are things that we've been talking about, you know, sometimes in our heads and now they're really putting them in, into specific examples in the classroom. It's been amazing. So we reached out to some folks for ideas for this episode, but going forward, Ben and I would love it if when you try something cool in the classroom or stumble across a hack or an awesome project, uh, we'd love for you to call it into our Brainwaves tip line and we'll play it in an um, upcoming episode where planning to include these more and more. So call us anytime and leave us feedback about the show or drop your tangible tip at 720-900-1741. I really wish that that spelled out something cool, but it doesn't. It's just 720-900-1741. All right. Without further ado, hey Siri, what time is it? It's time to get out of our heads and into the classroom. I need help. Somebody please help me. Help me. Give me something I can use. Hi, I'm Megan Soderland. I teach high school social studies in Noblesville, Indiana. One of the hosts of this podcast, Ben Kolb, was actually my AP government teacher in high school, so I have him to thank for a lot of teaching inspiration. My tip can be both a time saver and a way to develop projects, and it's due in large part to my awesome colleagues in our PLC. The way we structure each unit of study saves time, but allows us to bring a lot of creativity into the classroom. When planning a unit, the first few days are always learning a lot of content and scaffolding knowledge from previous topics. The last day of each major topic we cover, we formulate a creative essential question for students to explore and have more interactive activities with. For example, when teaching about the Neolithic Revolution, the last day we explored the question, was farming a mistake, allowing students to think deeply about the consequences of some basic actions like farming that made such an impact on society. We do something similar when talking about Alexander the Great. We teach about Alexander's battles and expansion, and then we present the question, was Alexander the Great really great or was he overrated? using a resume format. This is something that I find tends to make the content more personal and allows students to have an opinion. We still provide essential questions as part of what we teach daily, but letting students explore the topics on a deeper level at the end of the unit is often a fun way to solidify their knowledge. This all proves to be a big time saver because while planning, you have a guiding question that can lead to an awesome lesson or project. Students also tend to learn the way each unit is organized and come into class with an awareness and readiness to learn. was awesome. Hi, Brainwaves. Katrina Estrada here, just sharing a few tips and tricks that I like to use. One is I cannot stand when I have the red notification bubbles on my phone. 
And it also makes me really scratchy when I see someone else has a thousand unopened emails on their little red notifications. So a solution that I have for that is I've created a total separate email account that I use for all promotions, anything I might get junk mail for, um, things that just I wouldn't need to read through on a daily basis. And I use that email account. I don't link it to my phone so it doesn't even come up. And then I can go in and sign on when I need it and search for something as needed. And I don't have to use all that extra time going through and sorting through what is junk and what I might need or what I might not need. You're going to need a bigger boat. Hey, I'm Adam Wellington, friend of the pod. I teach students AP U.S. History and Government at Frederick High School in Frederick, Colorado. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is at AWellington83. My Into the Classroom tip comes direct from my AP U.S. History class, a class that is heavily dependent on my students being able to retain and retrieve vast U.S. history content knowledge in order to make broader historical argument. About once or twice a unit, we have what I call make-a-meme openers as a way for students to show their understanding of a particular event, concept, or person in our recent APUSH studies. For those unfamiliar with memes, they are images found on the internet that have some text on it to make a humorous statement on some part of our broader culture. These images are very interchangeable, so they can be used for a variety of purposes, and you can make a meme out of just about any image. When the class begins, I display the topic and my example meme via the projector, and then I give students 10 minutes to create as many memes as they can about our given topic. We use a website called IMG Flip that stores blank images of all the popular internet memes. There are a lot, and it allows you to create your own versions of them by simply typing in the text. Once it is created, students are able to save their image to their iPad's camera roll, and then they upload it into a media gallery in our Schoology course. We then spend a few minutes going through the creations together. There's a lot of laughter because we love nerd humor in this class, but a lot of great conversations and debates about the historical validity of each meme as well. Students love it because it is in a medium that they understand very well, and it injects some humor into the proceedings. Brain science-wise, it forces them to do some retrieval of those facts and concepts that they've been reading about on their own. Ultimately, this class opener is forcing students to say something about the dense set of content, helping them to further build their historical thinking skills. If you're looking for a quick opener or a closer to a class and want to see what students are retaining, this is a really fun way to assess their thinking as well. So, enjoy. Inconceivable. Hello, Brainwaves. What's up? This is Ann Feldman coming to you from Bellevue, Nebraska, in the heartland of America. You can follow me on Twitter at Ann Feldman1. And my end of the classroom tip is to leverage Class Kick and use the audio feature to provide your students descriptive feedback while they are in the writing process. Let's look at an example from a science teacher. The teacher is assigning a five-paragraph essay over volcanoes. And now instead of writing it out on pencil and paper, setting up the slides in class kick so that each slide is one paragraph. The teacher even provided a word bank at the top of each of the slides so students needed to incorporate specific vocabulary words tied to this paragraph. Then, 
As students are typing their paragraph, the teacher can pop onto any slide while the students are working and watch them while they're writing and provide them feedback. Now the powerful piece is as the students finish their writing, they can raise their electronic hand in class kick to say, please check my work. At that point, the teacher pops onto the slide and uses the recording feature to record feedback for the student on their paragraph. When the teacher's done recording the feedback, the feedback instantly appears on the slide and is available for the student to listen to on demand anytime, anywhere. The student then pops on their earbuds and listens to the teacher feedback and makes their revisions as they listen to the feedback. Students use the pause, rewind, play again cycle so that they continue to listen to that feedback, process the feedback, use that feedback to improve their writing. Each day, the students wrote just one paragraph, and every day, the teacher provided descriptive feedback to every single student. Not only did they receive that feedback in a timely manner, but the feedback was also personal, private, and targeted to their specific writing and their writing styles. The end result was, is each day the students wrote a paragraph, and by Friday of that week, they had a wonderful essay written, and the entire thing was already revised and graded. The teacher said that that saved him hours of work, and the students said that this writing piece was one of the best pieces they had written because of the feedback that not only they received, but that they were able to use to revise their work. Leveraging the audio feature in Class Kick to provide students descriptive feedback on their writing is a win for everyone. I encourage you to give it a try. Fantastic. Okay. Hey there, Brainwaves. I'm Tom Gibson from Austin, Texas. I am a middle school math, robotics, and YouTube video production teacher, as well as the creator and host of the Tom Gibson podcast, which are these NPR-style stories from the classroom. My tangible tip for your listeners in the new year is for them to consider beginning a classroom economy. A classroom economy starts with students having classroom jobs, which is pretty standard, particularly in elementary classrooms, but takes it a step further in that they get paid in pretend money so that they can pay rent on their desk as well as use money to buy items in a monthly auction. Different jobs have different salaries depending on how much work the job entails. Students can also earn bonus money outside of their salary as well as have to pay fines for any classroom infractions. You can set it up so students can eventually buy their desks so that way they don't have to pay rent anymore and they can become little landlords and give students opportunities to create their own businesses where they sell some kind of service or product to their classmates. I've got a series of videos and documents on how you can actually get this set up and running in your classroom, whether you teach elementary, middle school, or high school. And you can find those resources at TomGibson.com, T-H-O-M-G-I-B-S-O-N.com slash classroom economy. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at GibsonEDU. Actually, I'm not even mad. That's amazing. Hi, I'm Casey Luker. I'm the learning technology coach for Skyline High School, Timberline PK-8, and Trail Ridge Middle School. Something that I've done recently, like right before break, that really has gotten me pumped and excited is around the use of the breakout EDU boxes. I feel like on the surface level, they just appear to be this really fun, engaging way to get participants into content or into a team, but I feel like the potential goes so much more beyond that. For anyone that has never used the boxes, they simulate the type of puzzles and teamwork collaboration that need to happen in order to 
kind of escape a room, like in an escape room. And you have to work together to solve those puzzles and break out of the room and you have a certain amount of time. But with the boxes, it's just a box because we clearly can't lock kids into a room that would probably be very frowned upon. Uh, So the reason that I love the boxes so much, though, really comes afterwards in the reflection, because a lot happens as groups have to puzzle through the game. They're facing challenges as a team or individually, and having participants reflect on all of that afterwards is where the real power comes in. A lot of times I'll have students reflect on assumptions that they had prior to the game, um, either about people in their group or about themselves, and it really gives the whole group a chance to talk about group dynamics and the productive struggle and how powerful that is. I've also gotten to facilitate groups of teachers in professional development, and it's cool to have teachers reflect on how they saw themselves reacting in similar ways to their students. Those same behaviors that drive them crazy in the classroom um, are the ones that they saw themselves doing. And I think that's so great because it gave them an opportunity to have um, gain more empathy for why students may be reacting the way that they were because whatever it is that they were doing was a struggle. Um, the other final layer of reflection, though, comes in with the teachers that I get to co-facilitate the breakout boxes with because we get to talk during the facilitation about what we're noticing about the groups, how groups are working, how they're not working, um, and then afterwards reflecting on how we facilitated. Because I'll tell you the first time that I facilitated, I saw so clearly um, one of my fatal flaws as a teacher, and that's trying to help too much. The second I would see a kid struggle, um, I would want to swoop in and try to give them more support. And a lot of times that takes away that productive struggle and the power of overcoming a challenge. And so it was just very clearly, and I'm still working on this because even with the sixth graders I was with right before a break, a couple of them commented that they could tell they were on the right track or the wrong track, even if I was like smiling like a fool or if I was giving them this furrowed brow. Uh, So yeah, something that I'm really excited about is the opportunities and potential for deep reflection that come from the breakout EDU experience. Thank you. Well, no one's going to top that. Greeting, Brainiacs. I'm Keith Kinnison, a middle school math and science teacher from Loveland, Colorado. My end of the classroom idea slash dream derives from a hope I have, a hope for everybody in my classroom to look forward to and find joy in exploring. Exploring and investigating challenging problems and ideas takes a lot of effort. Where do I start? How do I start? How do I even know if my plan or ideas are on target? What if I mess up? Students who, just a few years earlier, eagerly asked, why? Why? Chomping at the bit, ready to jump in and get messy and search for answers. Now sit, slow to start, afraid of making mistakes, more content with being spoon-fed the hows than discovering the whys. So, here's my end of the classroom idea. When we come across a great problem or idea to test out or explore, I join the kids in this endeavor. I announce that I'm off limits for 10 minutes and take a seat alongside other learners, and I dive in. Hopefully, I model what it looks like to love a challenge. I remind kids of the joy and why, and boy, do the kids watch me. This isn't typical behavior for a teacher. They see me scratch my head, scribble, flip the paper to start anew, realize that mistakes and roadblocks are natural, necessary components of learning. When we reconvene, I have to remind the kids that I do care about them. And because I care about them, I'm not ready to see their work yet when I'm still working on it. Please don't come up to me when I'm working and ask me to help you get unstuck. I'm not unstuck yet. And if you think it's an emergency, just go. We'll talk about it later. Please let me explore. I won't interrupt you. You don't interrupt me. And when it comes time to share, I often don't share my work. Don't look to me for the answers. There's a lot of brain power in this room. 
and we all explored the same problem the same amount of time, let's all pitch in. This idea may seem simple, but it's been powerful in defining learner roles and creating more joy. Well, at least for me, and hopefully for most of my students. Super duper! That's nice! Way to go! Neat okay! Yes, boy! Hey there, Brainwaves listeners. My name is Shelly Stevens. I'm the instructor of the teacher prep program at Tri-County Tech in Oklahoma. You can find me on Twitter as Shelly Boyd Stevens or with the handle at SMB Pinky. I wanted to take a minute to share with you an idea that I implemented for the first time this school year. And it has been such an awesome addition to my classroom and a big benefit to my students. For me, it's really saved me time and helped me feel organized. This hacky idea is to create interactive daily agendas using Google Slides. I was initially inspired to use Google Slides to create and keep daily agendas by one of my colleagues, and it made a lot of sense for me to start loading those agendas with links. I think that Miss Catlin Tucker, the wonderful Miss Tucker, also has some information and examples of interactive daily agendas, so check that out. So you can set up your interactive daily agendas however you would like, but mine look like this. I made a Google slideshow that I called daily agendas. And for each day, I add a new slide. I created a template with four quadrants. On the top left, I put in a meme or a quote that relates to the topic of our work for that day, or sometimes it's just something to make the students laugh or to feel inspired. And these little memes or quotes have become a really fun part of our classroom culture. On the top right, I have a list of materials and supplies that students will need for the day. And they've learned the procedure that as soon as they walk into the room, they just gather all the necessary materials they'll need for that day and put it at their workspace. On the bottom right, I have upcoming dates to know, where I list out important events or dates coming up in the next month. So here I might announce a field trip or someone's birthday, an assembly, a test date, or even the end of a term. On the bottom left, I have the day's agenda. Here I list out what will be happening in class that day. Then across the bottom of the slide under the four quadrants, I have that day's learning objectives. And I like to write mine as questions. And here's where the fun comes in. Anything on that slide can be hyperlinked to something. So if an event in the upcoming dates has a flyer or a website, I can link it. I can add links throughout the agenda items to say a video or a website or even a Google document. A couple of tech tips that I picked up previously have really helped me with this. You might already know these, but just in case. So the first tech tip is that if you highlight anything, even a picture, and then go to insert on the menu bar, you can choose link and paste in a URL making that a clickable hyperlink. The second tech tip is something I learned only a few years ago and it rocked my world. So let's say that you make a note catcher or a graphic organizer or a test in Google Docs that you wanna share with the students, but you want them to have their own copy rather than editing your original. If you go to the blue share button and copy the link on your document, the word edit will be somewhere in that long URL. Take out the word edit, and just add the word copy in its place. Now when you share that link, students will be prompted to make a copy. Then whatever you shared with them will become their own editable copy. I use Schoology as my learning management system and I share the link to my daily agenda slideshow just front and center on my Schoology course page. Daily interactive agendas take a few minutes to create, but they have replaced so many other things that I used to have to do. Absent students or parents now know exactly how to find out what's happening in class and they have ready access to all the documents and resources. 
I no longer have to keep a detailed classroom calendar, and I don't have to keep a crate full of extra handouts. I no longer take the time to write daily learning objectives on the board, and I no longer have to fumble around opening files to project on the screen or keeping tabs open on my computer. I just simply project my agenda, and my lesson and transitions flow really smoothly because everything I need is right in one place. Finally, I have a really nice day-by-day reference and easy-to-find resources to use when I'm planning next year. Interactive daily agendas on Google Slideshow really are a time saver and a great resource for students, parents, and for the teacher. Hi, I'm Heather Brubaker. I present students with art challenges at Blue Mountain Elementary. A recent challenge involved a collaborative risk taken by science teacher Tara Pollock, PE teacher PJ Jurgensen, and myself. We wanted to create a challenge that would help students gain better understanding for each other while increasing their skill base in each of our content areas. We started this challenge by creating unlikely pairs of students in each class. School-wide, the pairs of students were given challenges to complete together in PE, science, and art. In each of area, they gained content knowledge along with a better understanding of their unlikely partner. In art, the students were faced with the challenge of creating a visual representation of their partner in the medium of their choice. The students demonstrated a great amount of empathy for their partners in each content area during this challenge. We then took the challenge one step further. With a grant from Arts Longmont, curator Marianne Lorenz taught the students how to curate an art show. Armed with their new knowledge of art curating and portraits, the fifth grade students will now curate the spring St. Brain Valley School District art show presented by Blue Mountain. They will select the works from the portraits done by the unlikely partners in the school-wide empathy challenge. The fifth graders have titled this show, Understanding is an Art. We would love for you to check out the show in the spring at the Boulder County Fairgrounds. While viewing the show, understand that it was made possible because an unlikely team of teachers, a PE teacher, a science teacher, and an art teacher took a risk. And then we invited unlikely pairs of students to take a risk. From this risk, we all gained content knowledge and the knowledge that understanding is truly an art form and that we are all capable of being artists of empathy. Hello, my name is Diane Lauer, and I'm the Assistant Superintendent of Party Programs and Academic Support in the St. Vrain Valley Schools. One of my responsibilities is professional development. And for the last four years, I've been working with my colleagues, delving into the research and application of using video coaching to enhance our teacher practice. You know, folks might be surprised that there is a huge research base around using video to promote self-growth, not only in teaching, but in a myriad of other fields like law, medicine, sales, sports, even the military. In fact, video coaching has been around for 20 to 40 years, and it's, it's really not something new. Uh, but what's new is the technology and how easy video capture is because of smartphones and tablet devices. Um, it's easy to snap a video now. You don't have to lug around a giant video camera and download it and burn it onto something. You know, you can uh, just post video um, right from your own smartphone and share it uh, in the cloud in a number of different ways. And so it's it's really exciting to th- 
to see the explosion of video that's happening in our school district because we really believe that video has the potential to accelerate our capacity and our growth. And when you think about um, how fast everything is changing around us, all the new strategies and tips and applications, we need tools so that we can accelerate our growth and, and keep up with that rate of change. Um, one of the really cool things that's happening in St. Vrain right now is a partnership we have with the Harvard University's MQI project. And MQI stands for Mathematical Quality of Instruction. Several years ago, uh, Harvard professors developed a math-specific rubric that provides teachers with a framework for analyzing math instruction. And so our teachers get together in small groups, take turns facilitating virtual coaching site goals with each other to help them reflect on their own practice and look closely at their students' work and their students' mathematical reasoning. So our teachers are learning a three-step process that anyone can employ when using video to enhance their practice. First, video teachers watch a video clip and describe without judgment what happens in the clip, focusing on one or two focus areas. Then they identify one instructional aspect that they can elevate in their instruction. And then finally, each teacher identifies next steps that might lead to such elevated instruction. Uh, it's a really simple process, but when worked on collegially, uh, amazing things happen. And, you know, um, teachers can work together and just continue with that next coaching cycle. And it's really exciting. Um, so we tell folks that, you know, the best place to get resources is through the Harvard Center uh, for Education Policy Research Visibly Better website. And you can, you know, go through their uh, resources. There's a ton of them on how to get started using video to enhance your practice in any content or grade level. All you have to do is go to visiblybetter.cepr.harvard.edu. Or you can also follow their Twitter hashtag, uh, hashtag visiblybetter. Um, there's tons of great people engaging in that content in the Twitterverse. So thanks so much. Hi, this is Matt Hawkins from Richland, Michigan, right close to Kalamazoo. I teach design and innovation classes in the STEAM lab at Gull Lake Middle School. You can connect with me on Twitter at MrHawkinsGL. I love recommending Brainwaves to others, not only because of the stellar guests, but also because of the fantastic questions from Becky and Ben. It's great to hear the way they unpack what they've learned on each episode. A project my class worked on before Christmas break was to build Michigan landmarks in Minecraft Education Edition. The project was good practice for students to apply our design process, plan, do, check, act, and we'll also pay off down the line when we need to scale scale down and scale up on some of our items that we design. We start with class discussion on what makes a landmark a landmark and shared some examples, starting with our own community, then zoomed out to our region, and then to the rest of the state. Students shared examples including our local library, lighthouses on Lake Michigan, sand dunes, sports stadiums, and many spots on or near Mackinac Island where many of our students just uh, went in the spring on their fifth grade field trip. 
group spent time researching significant features and then built their landmarks in the Minecraft platform over three to four class periods. To share their progress, students created Google slide decks that documented the design process and shared screen captures of the landmark from different angles. Minecraft Education Edition has some cool cameras and portfolios to export. They can take pictures and then put captions with them. And then we found the easiest way to share the pictures was to use the print screen function. And it copied the screenshot to the clipboard and then pasted it into their slides. I've shared some of the pictures on Twitter, but students worked right up until the end. And we didn't quite get everything exported out. So I'm looking forward to getting back from winter break and, and kind of getting the rest of those uh, landmarks and those pictures shared out with everybody because they're pretty cool. I found that Minecraft Education Edition is to a great hook for my classes throughout the year when I can fit it into uh, projects and use it to, for teaching. Uh, this was especially true right before winter break. Even as we approached our holiday, engagement was high and students were showing their best work throughout. Uh, I just want to say thanks again to Ben and Becky and I look forward to uh, 2019, another year of rainwaves. My name is Kim Wiggins, and I am lucky to say I have one of the best jobs in the world because I'm an assessment coordinator for St. Vrain Valley Schools. And I am so inspired by the work going on in our district around student empowerment and personalization through developing assessment-capable learners. As assessment coordinator, I get to often work with teachers around the question, the central question, how can we more deeply involve students in the process of their own assessment, where students and teachers are seeing themselves at the heart of assessment on an active quest of learning. So we're really pushing to ask students to look themselves for evidence of learning, which is a different question than evidence of teaching, and is really a with versus to question. Assessment is oftentimes thought of as something done to students, and I think that's mostly because that's how assessment's been done. It's been done to students. We're trying to flip that script. We're trying to assess with our students, even in thinking about certain aspects of education that are seemingly inauthentic to students, things like syllabi, standards, exams. Many of our teachers are actively involving students through um, reflection, various levels and forms of feedback, metacognition, um, and other things that can be highly personalized and active. We're, We're oftentimes looking for learning goals as opposed to performance goals. So let's say that we're looking at a diagnostic assessment and your goal is to show their best learning and reading, then a 600 may not embody that message very well. But if a student afterwards were to say, what did I learn about myself during this time? What behaviors did I exhibit? What did I do on challenging questions? What questions were challenging? What questions were easy? Did it take the amount of time I thought it would take? Was it easier or harder than my expectations? Those kinds of things can help put students in the seat of their learning and assessment path and help them identify what they need to do to set those learning goals as opposed to performance goals. And not saying the performance goals aren't important, but by incorporating um, and embracing these various sorts of data, then we can truly develop information that can turn into insight that can help students on the path to wisdom. Hi, I'm Sarah Pomerinka. I teach 10th grade pre-IB honors, 11th grade IB, and 12th grade IB at Niwot High School. Something that I'm doing that's new this year. I don't know that it's new this year, but when I give feedback, I'm trying to give one-on-one feedback that I'm talking individually with students rather than writing comments on their essays and on their project or in Schoology when they turn in assignments. And I feel like I do a lot of feedback before the assignment ever gets turned in because I want students to turn in their best work. I want them to be clear about the rubric and the expectations so that there's no confusion 
on their part. So I do a lot of feedback before and then feedback after. The other thing that I'm really excited about is using technology in a more meaningful way to address different modalities of student learning so that students are in doing a project and they incorporate a video that they've made or they incorporate music or they incorporate artwork. And students have been really surprising me with how they incorporate their own artwork. Students who say, I'm not artistic, I can't draw, I can't do anything. They end up taking a video, a fast motion video of themselves drawing or building something. And then that becomes their artwork and that becomes their creativity they share. And it gives them another sense of how they incorporate and process the information that we've learned in class so that it's not just regurgitating information, but they're really understanding the information. And I see a lot more from students, comprehension and understanding, and then making the connections. My name is Nate Wilcox from Colorado, and you can follow me on Twitter with the username at Nate Wilcox. My tip is to get your kids using the new Shortcuts app with Apple. I've had dozens of kids set up shortcuts on their iPad as simple as quick emails and as complicated as asthma attack warning protocols. The Shortcuts app, formerly known as Workflows, allows you to utilize numerous apps to create one stream process. If you're the type of teacher that has a very consistent routine every day, you can set up workflows that get the students started in that routine when they first walk into the classroom. My students start class off by setting a complex goal on their digital portfolios almost every day. This can be a multi-step process that involves opening multiple apps and they can get bogged down by this at times. With shortcuts, they can come in with all their apps cleared out in the background and just say, hey Siri, run my daily routine and every app will be opened and ready for them in an instance. There are also tons of shortcuts already created in the gallery section that will make your classroom more efficient. My name is Anna Mills and this year I was offered an incredible opportunity to be the innovation coordinator at Soaring Heights PK-8, which is a brand new school in Erie, Colorado. And today I would like to share our innovative practices at Soaring Heights. So our principal, Cyrus Weinberger, had a vision to create a neuroscience focused school. So he allocated 35 minutes each day for each teacher to teach an innovation class. And my job has been to create and write a lock and key curriculum for this time for preschool all the way through eighth grade. There are three modules, land, space, and ocean. They are built around our science standards to create a vertical alignment from preschool all the way through eighth grade. We've also worked with neuroscientists from the Anschutz Medical Campus to develop these neuroscience lessons that parallel our modules. At the beginning of each module, students acquire background knowledge through reading text, watching videos, gaining a greater understanding and empathy for their specific subject. And then they'll go through a series of neuroscience experiments, listen to guest speakers using NEPRIS, go on field trips. They'll go through virtual reality simulations and robotics lessons. And then they go through the design thinking process to solve real world problems. But what's been astonishing is not only what happens during innovation time, but the transfer of what they learn about their brain to the different facets of their life. Let me give you an example. Our sixth grade students are reading the book, The Giver. And to give you a bit of background, if you've never read the book, this book is about a dystopian society that suppresses the emotion, emotions of their citizens. And our middle school students in their language arts classroom were reading this book and having some small academic discussions and question prompts about the book. And what happened and formulated in this group blew me away. So at first, the students were discussing where emotions were localized in the brain. They knew that human logic is found in their frontal lobe and the emotions are in our limbic system, which was 
absolutely enlightening. I love that they remembered that from their innovation time in their class. But I started hearing questions like, is one part of our brain more important than another? Do we need to regulate our emotions? And how would we best do that? What makes us fully human and gives us the ability to interact with each other? But this last one, this last one gave me pause. How can we use our brains in the best way to create the most harmonious society? And remember, this was a discussion between 12-year-old kids. These are students we believe live in this egocentric generation. They're obsessed with selfies and Snapchat and Instagram. But as you can see, they're not only applying their knowledge of their brain to this piece of literature in their language arts class, but to how their own actions and behaviors affect our society. What up, brainwaves? I'm Felicity Trepto from DC Ever Schools. You can follow me on Twitter at Felicity Trepto. My classroom tip is, have you checked out the new voice memos app that came with iOS 12? This app is super user-friendly and has so many uses for the classroom. The voice memos um, easily share with other applications like Seesaw, Google Classroom, iMovie, and more. One of my favorite uses of voice memos is to record your thoughts quickly. I know some Sometimes I have so many ideas flowing out, my pencil can't keep up with my brain. How about allowing students to record their initial thoughts for a story? They could even bring that voice memo into an app like Notes and add illustrations. Do you have students who could benefit from having test directions read out loud? Simply record yourself on voice memos reading the test and then share that out with your students by airdropping or even posting in some place like Google Classroom. Because there's no limit to record time, voice memos is the perfect tool for students to record an interview or an important lecture. Uh, or how about consider using voice memos to have students respond to a prompt or to give their peers feedback? So those are just a few of the many uses for that Voice Memos app. Thanks. Hi, I'm Carly Adams from Firestone, Colorado. You can follow me on Twitter at MissAdams08. I teach first grade, and one of my favorite time-saving hacks is using Apple Classroom to organize my classroom iPads. I only have 10 iPads in my room, so students are constantly taking turns or working with partners. I color-coded my 10 iPads using colored tape to label the iPad itself and the bin that it goes in. Then I color-coded the profile picture in the Apple Classroom app to match. When I see the color on the back of the iPads, it helps me to physically see which student are using which iPad. It helps me to airdrop projects to and from these colored iPads quickly without having to look for an asset tag number. And I can easily use AirPlay to present a student's screen to the projector for all to see. Color coding using Apple Classroom not only helps our classroom stay organized, but it also helps me manage my classroom while we use technology. I can launch a specific app or website on a student iPad. I can see the screens of each student, and I can help students stay on task by locking them into one app at a time. Hi, I'm Michelle Story. I live and work in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm an ESL instructional coach for JCPS uh, here in Louisville. Irene and I are super fans of the show and have listened to all of the episodes, but I'd have to say my favorite episode was probably The Power of Moments with Dan Heath. I just kept thinking about all those peak moments and thinking about how we need more of them in schools. Hi, I'm Irina McGrath. I'm a middle school ESL instructional coach for JCPS, the largest district in Kentucky. I was born and raised in St. Petersburg, Russia, though, and I love rainwaves. And one of my favorite episodes is Innovator's Mindset with George Kuros. Michelle and I are thrilled to share a couple of things with you that we wished we knew six months ago. The first one is closed captions in Google Slides. This feature came out in October and has become one of our favorites. 
when you present in Google Slides. Click on the closed caption button at the, um, in the lower left corner to enable closed captioning and voila! Google Slides will, trans will transcribe your words. Captions will appear at the bottom of your screen. At this time, captions are not stored in your computer. Therefore, you will need to use Screencastify or any other app to capture your live words. We think this is a big win for English learners and students with hearing impairment. And that's also helpful because we have uh, some English learners with hearing impairments, especially some of our students from Syria and Iraq. The second thing we wish we had known has to do with YouTube. We know that YouTube clips are a great way to pique interest, stimulate and build background knowledge, and introduce key concepts, but sometimes those videos can be really hard to follow, especially for our English learners. So we think it's essential to turn on closed captioning for students with these videos. And here's the fun part. Go into the settings wheel or cog in the YouTube settings and adjust the actual speed of the video. We think 75% is a great adjustment. It's slower, but not so slow that it impedes communication or is annoying. The last thing is the conversation mode in Google Translate. Google Translate used to be pretty good, but now it is great. Conversation mode works on your mobile device. Michelle and I have tested it, and it's nearly perfect. This amazing app translates between 103 languages by typing, and you can have bilingual conversations between 32 languages. Irene and I curated a wakelet with slides and a video tutorial in case you're interested in using these tools. You can search this collection by searching Things We Wish We Knew Six Months Ago. It's on wakelet.com. Well, giddy up on that. That was fantastic. Nothing like getting out of our heads into the classrooms and hearing advice from the people who are doing some of the best work in the country. So thank you so much for everyone who submitted a tip. If you want to know who those folks are or get links to their tips, you can find those in show notes by swiping up, down, left, or right, depending on which app you are listening in or checking it out just on our website. As always, we thank you so much for listening and cannot wait for an amazing 2019. Go have yourself a great generic time of day.